All right, hello, and welcome to another episode of Musician Stories, a place where you can learn more about your favorite musicians. I am your host, Chris Mitchell, and I'm the lead guitar player for Four Times Louder. Today we have with us friend of Noah Spinner from episode one, musician, leader of Alex Hall's figurehead, and cat dad, and real life dad, Alex Hall. How's it going, man? Hello. Oh, man, it's going good. I'm, we had some scheduling snafus, but we're here, we're doing it. I'm doing it from my car, which is in motion. So I appreciate you. Yeah, I'm uh, on the road to actually to meet with a musician friend of mine for a little uh, weekend writing session in Pennsylvania in the middle of nowhere. Um, But I'll be on the road for a couple hours. So it's kind of a perfect scenario for us to do this. So thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for what you do. And I'm looking forward to the chat. Yeah, man, for sure. So you said you're going to Pennsylvania. What... um you know, how long have you known this guy that you're meeting with and, and what kind of stuff are you planning to write with him? So, uh, my friend Tim Wilderoder and I have been, um, kind of like partners in music since, um, something like 2012, 2014, somewhere around there. He was, uh, the original bass player of Alex Hall's figurehead, okay. which is a band that I formed after Oliver Hall, which was like, a a regionally successful jam band that I was in starting from 2009 and going until I actually think it was 2014. And it was during that same year when I um, departed Oliver Hall um, that I set up Alex Hall's figurehead and Tim was um, the bass player from then and throughout. He's appeared on every studio release um, and really he's just a great friend, but unfortunately he doesn't live close by so we are meeting in the middle um he lives in central pennsylvania central slash eastern pennsylvania and i live in northeast ohio in cuyahoga falls so uh, we're meeting up in uh at a halfway point we're grabbing an airbnb setting up our our stuff and just gonna hang out and write some music um so i did this once before by myself just went to an airbnb like um just to get away from my house and the commotion unplugged my my cellular devices and just uh tried to write music for a weekend and it was really really um holistically helpful um and healthy for me in terms of creativity as a musician yeah so um i'm really looking forward to meeting up with tim today and um you know and having those opportunities to really kind of get away and 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 do or do music, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a great idea too, to just like, if somebody lives far away, catch up in an Airbnb and just write. That sounds so fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. I'm sure we won't get into any trouble. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> so I kind of alluded to it, but, you know, kind of explain to people or, or you know, talk about how, um, you know, we came in contact and how we know each other. Oh, well, we don't know each other. This is the first time we've ever met. <laughs> that's true. That's for, true. Um, <laughs> we talked on Instagram because I um, heard your episode with Noah Spinner. Um, so although I'm a musician, I've also been very interested in local politics. I actually sat on the Cuyahoga Falls School Board for about a year and a half. And um, I also have a PhD in English. And so I've been very interested in um writing and media and all those kinds of things. And 
um, after sometime in late 2016, early 2017, um, for reasons that will probably become clear if you follow politics at all, um, I became like really involved in local politics and um, wanted to create a platform that would be info informational um, for people at the local level, largely because a lot of newspapers and things have been bought by national companies and things. Um, so uh, I, along with a group of people, created something called the Falls Free Press, which is just sort of like um, the Devil Strip or Cleveland scene for Cuyahoga Falls. Okay. Um, and uh, one of our first like interviewees was one Noah Spinner, who at the time was a senior in high school running for um, Ohio State House of Representatives, oh, which wow. was just um the, the the dude just has giant balls or at least it, at the time did to be to do that from high school apparently he would walk around school in a suit and they um told people called him like mr president wow um and uh and noah's great man he comes from this amazing family um his father is like this awesome musician and just one of the nicest most pleasant people to be around that you'll ever know yes um, he's got a cool like musical duo. His mom sits on Cuyahoga Falls City Council now. Uh, I think she's wrapping up a second term. Um, and uh, you know his sisters are like some of the first like uh, women to serve as Eagle Scouts like ever. They're twin girls. And his brother is an amazing graphic designer who actually um, designed the cover art for my most recent album, Johnny which I think we'll talk about here in this conversation and um, which also a week from today on Black Friday will be turning two years old. So um, wow. yeah, Noah's, Noah's, uh, uh, Noah's amazing. His family's amazing. I saw that you had had him on the show and I was immediately like, this sounds like a really cool podcast and I'm going to reach out to this guy <laughs> and, you know, see if he'll have me on. And, and here we are. And here we are. Yeah, man, I really appreciate that. Yeah, Noah and his family is absolutely great. I definitely want to have his dad come on at some point and, um, you know, oh, pick yeah. his brain a little bit too. And, yeah, you alluded to it, man. He is just a fantastic musician, and, and his whole family is so kind. That is the word. They are kind. Yeah. So, all right, man, I want to take it all the way back to, like, the absolute beginning um, when you were a, a wee lad. And um, I just want to kind of get a get a little background from you for, you know, kind of your upbringing in music. Like, what got you started? What were some of your inspirations when you very, very uh, first started, you know, picking up music? Yeah, so I don't come from a, like, musical family. Sometimes you hear artists talk about, like, you know, my dad was a jazz saxophonist or, you know, my mom was a classical pianist or something. That is definitely not true for me. I had a cousin when I was a kid who played drums, like, along to like you know heavy metal bands um really loud in his basement um but that was like after i'd kind of like picked up the guitar that i saw him doing that i found out later that his father had played bass in like some like crummy beer band um near cincinnati in like the 70s um but gave it up when he was like forced at gunpoint by like a biker gang to play oh a particular cover song yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so i mean talk about musician stories um, but, uh, but yeah, no music in my family whatsoever. Um, really it was the instrument that got me like into music and not like music that got me into music. I was certainly, I was born in 1980. Um, so I was certainly like surrounded by, uh, like, 
like pop music because, you know, of course, in those days we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have, um, you know, Apple music or Spotify or anything. So pretty much what you were exposed to was what was on the radio, unless you were listening to records or whatever um, tapes, I guess, cassette tapes um, at the time were the thing. Um, what happened to me was I was, uh, so I was born in Hamilton, Ohio, which is near Cincinnati. And, um, I went to the first half of my kindergarten year, um, in the same city, like where I lived when I was born. Um, I ended up moving to another city to finish kindergarten near Cincinnati. And then we moved from there to the Washington DC, like Metro area, Mm -hmm. because my father had gotten a job out there. Um, and we lived in this like uh, three bedroom apartment. Um, and the thing that would happen in that complex where we lived, um, like in Cuyahoga Falls, you know, a lot of people deal with like mice, Mm. um, out there. The thing that we would deal with was lizards. They're like these tiny little lizards that would like get in your house. Really? Um, yeah. (laughs) And you'd like sweep them out with a broom, um, or whatever, (laughs) but they would get in periodically and you just, you know, no big deal. Uh, Actually, mice are worse. Um, and I've had to deal with that. And there's a track on the album called Mice in the Basement. It's, you know, somewhat inspired by that <laughs> shitty situation. Um, but anyway, uh, there was one time that a mouse got into our, like, coat closet by our front door. And the only reason, not a mouse, a lizard. I said mouse, see? <laughs> um, a lizard got into our, our coat closet by our front door. And the reason we knew this was because these lizards, when they would die inside your house, they would stink, like, really bad. Oh, my. Um and so, like, you know, at some point we were like, what is that smell? Oh, God, one of those lizards died in the coat closet. Got to pull all the coats out of the coat closet, get everything out of there, sweep it out. And at the back of this coat closet, I found a guitar. And I was, like, in the first grade and was like, when did we get a guitar? You know? Oh, wow. Um, and my mom was like, well, you know, there was an anniversary gift from, from your dad to me. Um, at some point when I was too young to remember, um, but like during, you know, my life, uh, so, you know, um, it had a book in it, like, you know, how to play certain chords and stuff. And I was like, basically not allowed to touch it, but she let me open the case and look at it. And, um, you know, I would just became obsessed with the fact that there was a guitar in that like cardboard sort of case in the, in the closet. Yeah. And then like one year, like while we still lived out there, we got a keyboard. So my parents were sort of encouraging and like in terms of music um, and that, that, that crummy Casio keyboard lived in our house actually for a really long time. Um, as I got older, we, we ended up moving back to the Hamilton, Ohio area when I was like halfway through the third grade. Um, and by that time, you know, I was allowed to like mess with the guitar with less supervision. Yeah. And, and almost almost no supervision. And I was able to use the book that was in the case to start teaching myself chords and stuff. Um, I hadn't really put together in my head yet that I could like learn a song that I heard on the radio on the guitar, yeah. but I could play like some chords and stuff. And then um, we moved just like at the end of that square to a house in the country. Um, and so for the whole summer, it was just me and my older brother in the house during the days together. And my brother um, would just kind of sleep in and kind of didn't want anything to do with me because he was over as a brother. Um, 
and my parents had a record collection. So I basically spent that entire summer just like going through, like learning how to use a record player. And like, it's all like trendy and popular now to like to listen to vinyl and stuff. But at the time, um, you know, nobody really did that. And the stereo they had was really old and kind of shitty, but um, they had some good records. So I would listen to like Led Zeppelin three and like Magical Mystery Tour yeah. and like LA Woman and just a lot of like great classic rock records. Um, some other stuff. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, I listened to like Simon and Garfunkel and Bob Dylan, and you know, my mom had a couple of like records by like Joni Mitchell and Melanie, and there was some real bad stuff in there too that I can't even like things that I think like they must have. I don't even know what it was, honestly. <laughs> um, but like Clapton, um, just a lot of like great like stuff, and I, I just went to it like all the every time my brother would come like smack me and tell me to turn it down or whatever um and it was around that time that i started going okay i want to take guitar lessons so i can like know what i'm doing i mean and this is how long ago it was guitar lessons back then were eight dollars for a half hour you had to pay 32 dollars for a month of guitar lessons oh, wow. at like a music store with a teacher who had a degree in music yeah wow <laughs> i think now it's like 50 bucks for like a really good teacher for half hour but at least 30 i think for a half hour <laughs> I don't know. Is that accurate? You're younger than I am. Um, honestly, I'm not entirely sure. I I never took uh, schooled lessons, so I'm sure when people hear this, they'll go, "Wow," or they'll go, "No, that sounds right." <laughs> It'll be one. Of the <laughs> um, I think it. Well, I know it's fifty dollars if you like. I took lessons with like a guy who's working on a PhD in music, and his lessons were fifty bucks an hour. But I think like if you went to Guitar Center, it'd be like thirty, thirty-five bucks a half hour. Yeah, I believe so, that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just started doing that. And I remember like one of the first songs I learned to play was Smells Like Teen Spirit. Um, yeah. You know, I was into like metal in like the late 80s and early 90s, like mostly listened to, to metal, um, different kinds of metal, uh, uh, hair metal to death metal basically was what I listened to. And, then, you know, death metal back then really meant thrash metal, what we think of as thrash metal now. Like I wasn't playing Cannibal Corpse or like Deicide or whatever. I was playing like, slayer and metallica and, and that's what like we would stay up every saturday night and watch headbangers ball which was like a video uh, like an mtv show where they would just show like metal videos yeah and nirvana had like gotten popular there before they got like the massive um popular success that they got and so smells like teen spirit was one of the first things i learned to play i remember i learned to play seasons in the abyss the slayer tune um and uh just kind of went from there and like was influenced really by all the stuff that was on the radio because again we didn't like have music on demand quite as easily as we do now things that i bought on tape and, and later cds um and by the time i got to high school i became like really i, I kind of like worked my way back to classic rock and played um like learned to play more like you know pink floyd i had a big long period where i was into um like the grateful dead and uh, the band Fish, um, which I'm less into now. Um, and I mean, I've just really run the gamut of like musical interests. My main stuff right now is like, I like to listen to a lot of progressive rock, progressive metal um, and jazz. Um, so yeah, yeah for sure. that's probably a longer answer than you want, but there you go. <laughs> no, it's yeah. great. I, I enjoy it for sure. Um, so do you still have this original guitar? 
Oh, it's in my family. I think my brother has it. It was a Dixon and made in China as evidenced by the sticker on the back of the headstock. Um, but Dixon, um, and bought probably in like 82 or 83 or something like that. Um, but yeah, I gave it back. I gave it back to my mother and then I think she gave it to my brother and there's a strict rule that it not leave the family. Um, <laughs> You know, I changed the tuners at one point or something. It sounded good. It had a great sound, actually. Um, I think even instruments that were manufactured in China at that time were fairly decent. Um, but, uh, but it served me well. Um, I played it for years. I, and I've gone through so many guitars. But when I was in high school, I think I'd, like, traded comic books or something and bought, like, a Les Paul copy and a little practice amp just to, like, sit in my room and play along with you know, Jerry Garcia band records and Pink Floyd and, um, whatever, even hip hop records. Like I'd play with like Wu-Tang clan records and try to like put little guitar runs and, you know, Dr. Dre albums and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So at what point did you kind of start playing live or what was that transition like? Um, so yeah, I mean, I had like a couple of different, projects that I was into like early in high school where I had friends who played music and we'd get together and play their houses, maybe record something on like a four track or even just like a crummy tape recorder. Yeah. Um, but like never really play live. And then I remember I, I was living in uh, Oxford, Ohio area at the time, which is my, where Miami university is. And there was like a couple of people who were like my brother's age who had like a real band um, that um, would open for like local touring bands and stuff. And so I was like really kind of mesmerized by that idea. Um, I moved to another city um, when I was like a sophomore in high school and met some people who were into music and stuff. And then in 1998, I graduated high school and I, I went on tour with like the leftover members of the Grateful Dead um, who were still playing as a band after the death of Jerry Garcia. Um, with a friend of mine, we went on that, we went to like 10 shows on that tour. And then we came back and he and another friend of his played guitar. Um, and since there were three of us who played guitar, another friend of theirs showed up with a drum set and a bass guitar. And because nobody would volunteer to play bass, I just did that. Okay. Um, and so I played bass, um, that day. I remember like me and the drummer who didn't know each other before this moment, kind of looking at each other like like we want to play together but not with them <laughs> like we just knew it wasn't going to work out with them nothing personal but wasn't going to work out with them so it was very shortly after that he and i he his family had a church like set up with a sound stage and everything we were real lucky to be able to practice there even though i'm like an atheist and they knew it they were cool with it as long as we didn't cuss while we were there um and uh yeah, they, they would, uh, we would go, me and this guy's name, Chet Johnson, we would go out there and we would play, um, like all night long, like recording stuff onto four tracks, trying to figure stuff out. We eventually met somebody who could play guitar and sing. And, um, we practiced with that guy for a long time, did one gig and he was like distracted by girls and messing up his parts. And we were like, yeah, it's not going to work out. Classic. Um, yeah. And then we met this. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Um, and, and, uh, then his little brother who was a little younger than me um had this friend who could like shred 
um, guitar at like the age of 15 or 16. I mean, this kid was just unbelievably talented um, for how old he was. And so we started playing with him. I think I was 19. Chad, I think was also 19, maybe 20. And this kid was 15. And so we started doing these little like keg party gigs and stuff where we just kind of show up and be like, Hey, can we play? Um, and people got, got into that. And, um, I was still playing bass all this time. Um, and then we got a little more serious. Um, we tried to add another guitar player that didn't really work. And all the while I'm like, I want to play guitar. <laughs> um, yeah. and it so happened I was playing, I was also um, interested in Kung Fu at the time and I was taking lessons and I met this guy who had like a modulus bass, like this, like, you know, very expensive, like thousands of dollars bass. Um, and he had been in a band. He was older than all of us. Like I remember he was almost 30 and we were like, Whoa, like that's so old. You know? <laughs> and now I'm 42 and I'm like, Oh man, to be 30, to be 28 or whatever he was again. Yeah. Um, and uh, his name was Tony sheets and uh, he came on board as the bass player. So I was able to switch to guitar. And in 1999, that summer, um, we played our first couple of shows. We did a show at a bar in a college town in the summertime, which is to say it was empty. Um, and then we, we did a, a show at a festival that same summer um, to kind of, you know, cut our teeth. And um, then we, you know, started to play pretty frequently in the Cincinnati area. We started our own festival that band was called four ohms and um yeah so it started like the first shows first live shows were in 1999 so it was just a matter of finding the right people and kind of you know making sure we all kind of jived and yeah um and it just sort of like organically became like a real life like touring thing we recorded a couple of different times but we eventually finally put out like a full-length studio album um, that band kind of fell apart in 2004. Um, and then it was, uh, three years later, I moved away from Cincinnati, um, and had a period where I didn't really do anything musically and then came back, uh, to Northeast Ohio and started out of the hall in 2009. So, yeah. Gotcha. That's neat. Is there like a gig that kind of sticks out to you when you first started? Well, that first gig yeah <laughs> that first gig was funny because i remember uh like i said the bar was basically empty save for the few people that like came to see us because in the college town you know a if it was during the school year they wouldn't have had us they would have had a dj playing shitty like ass shaking music yeah. um and uh b like they never you know they never whatever they never would have booked us but we did bring you know maybe 10 people who made the trek up. The, it was like a 35, 40 minute drive from where we were based. So people had to really want to come see us. Um, so we had like 10 or 15 people maybe who came up to see us. And then there was like, maybe, I don't know, five or 10 people tops who were actually like townies who were there like playing pool and shit while this band nobody had ever heard of was playing. Um, and we were playing a cover of, the song um, Stirred Up by Bob Marley. Mm. Um, <laughs> somebody started fighting and the drummer, uh, my friend Chet, who we later had to take a mic away from because he just never knew what he was going to say <laughs> um, to embarrass us all. Um, what, he, uh, he got on the mic and he said, 
He said, there will be no fighting during Bob fucking Marley. Um, and like, cause somebody was like fighting in the crowd. Like, like somebody who would come to see us in one of the townies were like fist fighting during Bob Marley. And Chad just thought that was an affront to Bob Marley. Um, so that, that one stood out for that reason. Um, I do remember during the festival that I mentioned, it was called the Rocky Fork Jamboree. Um, and some folks from Cincinnati who are older would remember that. Um, I do remember, like, as I said, our guitar player was really young. So by this point, he was maybe 16. Um, and I remember, like, talking to this very, very attractive young lady who was asking about the band and stuff. And her asking me about the guitar player. And me, like, just being still sort of, like, blown away how young he was for how talented he was. Um, she's talking to me about the guitar player. And I was like, yeah, can you believe he's 16? And her face kind of dropped. And when the guitar player came back over to talk to me, um, he's like, what did you say to her? And I realized, oh, shit, I just fucked that whole thing up for him. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, those are the, 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 I mean, there's a lot to remember about those shows, honestly, but those are the, the couple of things that stuck out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, up to kind of current stuff you're driving now, but when you normally get in the car, you know, what do you, what's your go-to stuff? You know, what are you currently listening to right now? Um, well, I, I subscribe to Apple music. Um, and I like that they create a little station for me based on like stuff that I listen to. Um, but things that I've been into lately, I've been listening to a ton of Radiohead. I just have never really kind of gotten away from Radiohead. Okay. Um, so like I was in the Radiohead, but I had seen them in concert on the King of Limbs tour. I really love, there's an album by a jazz pianist named uh, Brad Meldow. Um, there's this, uh, this album he has called 10 Years Solo. So like, you know, any one of his shows he would play, he does a lot of eclectic sort of arrangements of jazz tunes and he has trios and quartets and different like bands that he plays with. But I guess it like all his shows, he would play at least a couple of um, solo piano tunes. So wow. um, he's got this record called 10 Years Solo, which is like all those records. Yeah. And um, are all those, uh, a bunch of those like selected performances. And he plays a lot of covers like in solo piano like jazz arrangements um, and some of the tunes like are like songs you wouldn't expect to be, you know, really great for solo jazz piano, but they turn out to be fantastic. Like um, there's that um, Stone Temple Pilots interstate love song. Um, yeah. I'm not a huge Stone Temple Pilots fan, but like his version of that song is just gorgeous. Um, he does a, a real somber and cool rendition of, of the Beatles and I love her. I mean, he does like a Jeff Buckley tune that I love um just a ton of um really great stuff so I, I gravitate toward that album sometimes i'm just looking for something to like that's like longer because those those songs are really long um i like a lot of progressive metal but um the the one that stands out the most is a band called haken h-a-k-e-n okay. um they're from england and they're amazing musicians um i've had the chance to see them live a couple times i've met a bunch of the guys in the band the guitar player has his own like Strandberg uh, edition guitar that like he showed to me personally, like at, at the Agora, which was really cool. Um, and I have a Strandberg now. So that, that was really, I had just gotten it and he 
here he is showing me his signature Strandberg. It was amazing. Um, his name is Richard Henshaw and he's fantastic. Um, but their band is great. And, um, they just keep releasing these amazing records. And I like them because even though they're prog metal, they also like their albums are really varied. So there'll be like, they have this one album that like, you know, there's a, a tune that has like a big section of like, um, acapella stuff. And, you know, there's things that almost could be like part of a Broadway musical. And then they'll break into these like wicked, like sludgy, progressive, weird, you know, riffs. Um, so I love them. Um, I love a band called Intronauts intro not like astronaut but intronaut okay um they're they're a really cool progressive metal band but they don't sound like a lot of other progressive metal in my opinion and um they do a lot of really cool stuff with polyrhythms that other bands just don't do i mean some prog metal bands do but not like that um hmm. i've been to a bunch of concerts over the last year um uh, some of the, the bands I really, 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 really respect and appreciate and, and love. Um, I got to see Jacob Collier in concert. Um, he is an absolutely phenomenal virtuosic musician um, who played two different Beatles tunes in like odd arrangements that night. Um, he, uh, he was a protege of like Kirby Hancock and has expanded way beyond I mean, he's just the musician's musician and he's also like super young and um, really like upbeat and like, um, like inspiring. Uh, he's fantastic. Um, I love a lot of like classic rock too. I mean, stuff that just like from those, that summer I listened to all those records. Um, like I was just listening to the Bob Dylan um, Greatest Hits Volume 2 thing. Uh, the other day for the first time in like forever. And I was really cool. Um, you know, uh, I got to see King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard oh, wow. um, this year and they were great. Where'd you um, see them at? They've just released. I saw them at Agora. Oh, okay. Um, it was, it was wild. It was like a fish concert with moshing. It was such a <laughs> weird crowd. Everybody was like definitely on drugs or drunk or both. <laughs> Um, and they were all really young. I heard people saying stuff that was like making me feel old. Like somebody being like, Oh, I heard, you know, smashing pumpkins played here like in the nineties. And I was like, Oh, that's when I saw that. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, so it was weird to me, but I have a friend that I often will go to concerts with cause he's just like real open-minded and will kind of go to anything. He was the one that said, we need to go to this show. And I was aware of King Giz, like, and I had listened to some of their stuff and seeing them in concert was, really really kind of like helps you understand who they are as a band because their their studio releases are often just really fucking weird yeah. <laughs> like their name um yeah i love a band called screaming headless torsos they're like a like an avant-garde funk metal mm. thing they're really hard to pigeonhole they're really not metal but they're they've got like a like a uh, a grungier kind of vibe um, but they're, they, they formed in like the eighties and their guitar player is the one who, he's the reason I play seven string guitars with tremolos. Um, <laughs> he's a, a prof, he's a professor at the Berkeley school of music of guitar. I mean, the dude is just amazing. Um, yeah, I was going to ask but, about that. Um, you posted something on your Instagram about that seven string the, with no headstock, uh, weird looking guitar yeah. and your caption under it was like, more to come. I'll tell the story later. And then there was nothing. So, so what's up with that? Tell me about yeah. that. 
So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I do intend to like ex- explain that eventually, but um, I'll give you a preview. Um, so there's been over the years, a lot of different guitars that have no headstocks. Um, the really like, um, uh, famous ones were the Steinberger guitars, mm-hmm. um, which were popularized in like, I think the eighties, um, Alan Holdsworth, I think played those, a lot of Steinberger basses. um, with the guy in Jerry Garcia's band, I think in the, in like the 92 tour was playing Steinberger bass, um, so those were cool. Um, there's like some tuning stability that happens by not having a headstock with a nut for the strings to move across, um, especially if you're using a tremolo. Um, and there's a, a newer company based in Sweden uh, called Strandberg. Okay. And they make these just amazing headless guitars um, that are fan fret. So they're like multi-scale. And I just have wanted one forever because I had started playing seven strings and I really wanted one with a tremolo because of listening to David Fushinsky and getting into that sound. Um, and I just had not been able to find one I could really afford. Um, so I kind of, I got duped, man. Like I went online and I found like a copy where it was like this guy telling me like he would, he would build me a guitar that was like a Strandberg, but for cheaper. Mm. And it turned out to be like a Chinese piece of shit. Yeah. Um, so I kind of just put it in a corner and was like, well, I'm never going to be able to afford to do what I need to do to that good, that guitar. Um, and in the, in the, in the interval, the past between me doing that and now I was able to buy an actual Strandberg, which is a, a just a phenomenal instrument. Uh-huh. Uh, but I wanted to like, since I had the money, I was like, I want to see if I can rescue this guitar. And then shame this guy on the internet um, so that people know not to buy from him. And that's kind of yeah. why I've been waiting to post. Um, but yeah, I replaced the bridge and I uh, had um, uh, Austin Milvet, uh, who played in a band called, I think it was, I want to say it's Take Off Charlie, um, and is now a guitar tech uh, in Akron. Um, he did a bunch of work for me to get that thing up to speed. I found a bridge. Um, by a company called Sophia that would allow me to, to, to do with it what I wanted to do with it. Austin did a lot of the customization um, and it still needs a little bit more like setup work just to like be in good shape. But actually when I'm, when I'm not getting dead frets because it's got some issues with a couple of the frets, which he's kind of fixed for me. Um, when I'm not having those dead frets, I actually tend to prefer playing it when I'm standing in the living room over the strandberg really even though i prefer the strandberg plugged in yeah just because it's got it's like more resonant and like once it's working real well and i have i mean they'll they'll both be great instruments and i put a kill switch in it just because i didn't have any guitars that have a kill switch so i was kind of excited to do that so it's gonna be an instrument that i'll play a lot but it just still needs a little bit more work um I told you I was driving. That's a semi gun. <laughs> <laughs> no, all good. But so, okay, that's awesome, man. I, I'm, you know, to have something like that to kind of, you know, put it to your own specs. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm super sorry that that guy kind of, you know, scammed you on that. And, and that, that sucks, man. But that, well, that's out there yeah. and, you know, you gotta be careful in yeah. a sense. So we'll definitely put them I have on another one blast. too that I, yeah, for sure. And that, well, and Austin and I are going to make a video where we go over the whole thing. That's why I haven't okay. posted it yet. Yeah. I want to make sure it's like in full working order before I 
explain the whole thing. But I have another guitar that I is like a, a, a DeArmond SG style seven string guitar that I like stripped and um, basically rebuilt. And I'm still kind of getting like tweaking it to make it like a usable instrument, but it has a Kaler on it. And I actually love the way it feels. I like the way it looks. It's really the guitar I want um, uh, besides the Strandberg more than anything. Um, so if I have those three instruments working, I've got other instruments. I mean, you know, being a guitar player and some of your listeners probably know too, when you're a guitar player or really any kind of musician, but especially guitar player, you're constantly like buying and selling gear. Um, it kind of becomes this huge rabbit hole when it comes to pedals. Some of that's going away now that there's a lot more people using like amp modelers, like all the guitars on my last album were played, um, through a Kemper. I was going to ask, yeah, the Kempers are huge right now. Yeah, which is great. It's uh, very handy in the studio. Um, You know, guys with, like, serious audiophiles can tell, um, but I don't really care. To me, it sounds great, and it was a lot more convenient than having to, like, mic up 16 amps and find the best sound. Right, and and it's a lot cheaper, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, it'd be cheaper than having a bunch of amps. Right, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It'd be cheaper than the the studio time. Yeah. Um, but my studio engineer, um, for that album, um, Pete Revere at Amprion Recorder in Youngstown is just a delight when it comes to, you know, finding the right sound that you're looking for, for a track. And, um, it's really, um, thanks to him that, that those guitars sound so good, but, um, you know, uh, the, the thing is now so many people are using different kinds of amp modelers, whether they're Kempers, Axe Effects. I have actually invested in one of those uh, Helix ones okay. yeah. um, now. So I don't know if like my next project will be played, you know, from that or what. Um, I'm not as technologically savvy with all of that, but um, but I have something worked out on it that I like. Um, but yeah, uh, that red guitar, man, it's just... <laughs> It was it was a work in progress for a long time. It frankly almost got thrown away a couple of times, but yeah. um, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And I'm glad because I'll have some uh, more information to share about that once me and Austin get back together and get it all um, ironed out. So I'm looking forward to hearing and, and seeing all that too. If uh, you know when this comes out, obviously you know we'll, we'll link the video to it, and uh, if not, there'll be a button that says you know coming soon and all that. <laughs> yeah. But um, so you know, you kind of talked about it. You know, your album um with Alex Hall's Figurehead. Uh, l- let's talk about that whole project. You know, from from you know, kind of how it formed, and and then you know what you guys are doing now with it. Yeah. So, yeah, I just um I had kind of changed directions in terms of like what I was interested in musically um, on the previous Alex Hall's Figurehead album which is an album called carrion mm-hmm. um there's like a like a couple of tracks on there in particular the title track carrion and then a tune called marquee that really are i think evident when you listen to them now of the direction i was going to go with my original music um and as i said i went through a lot of life changes and some of that stuff was starting to kind of like rear its head um at, around the time i was starting to write that album and so i had um come up with the piano riff for the tune a dream in a nightmare's place um first and had really spent a whole lot of time on that song 
Um, the idea originally was like I, I needed to start a new band because um, or find new players because um, Alex Law's figurehead had had basically like fallen apart because people had like moved away. So like mm-hmm. everybody was like it wasn't like a dramatic you know breakup or anything. It was just like the drummer like got a job in like Oregon and then my friend Tim who I'm on my way to see right now got um, a job in Pennsylvania and there's just like no way we we're going to be able to continue as like a live band. Right. And uh, that really just only left two of us. And, uh, and we were separated between Youngstown and Akron. And I was kind of sick of making that drive. And um, I don't think he really wanted to have to rebuild a whole band. So right. my thinking was that I would set up like a trio, excuse me. My thinking was that I would set up like a trio uh, to play tunes like live, but the amount of production work that had gone into a lot of the stuff previous to that point, I thought it would be difficult um, to like arrange all that stuff for a trio. So I thought, well, I'm just going to write, I'm going to see if I can just write a whole set worth of new stuff um, that'll be written for trio. And so that first song in my imagination, it was like, I'm going to play piano and then like switch to guitar and like use like vocal harmony as another instrument. And we're going to have this band that's going to do that. And then as I started to write the song, um, more stuff started to come and I just kind of abandoned that and just let the creative process take over. And before I knew it, I had a couple of songs and a story. So the, the album, I always call it a classic meets modern, um, honest, uh, honest to goodness, classic meets modern progressive rock concept album. And the reason for that is like, it's honest to goodness in the sense that it's like, uh, like almost like a, that it's a, that it's a, a concept album. It's a, it's a story told over a series of songs, you know? Um, and then classic meets modern in the sense that like, you're going to listen to this thing and you're going to hear touches of Pink Floyd as much as you're going to hear touches of like, you know, porcupine tree or, something more modern in terms of progressive rock sure sure and then honest to goodness in the sense that it's progressive rock and not like progressive metal for a long time the words progressive rock really meant progressive metal because there weren't there was like no, no in between it, was, it didn't seem like there was right um so it's it's not a metal album at all although there are some sections that are a little bit heavier um so yeah, I mean, uh, what happened was I, I had run into a friend of mine in Cincinnati, actually ran into his little brother and found out that he was living in this like house where he and I used to like, you know, hang out and play when we were kids. And it was his grandmother's house. Um, oh, wow. And the poor guy, his, his father had died, both of his grandparents were gone. He was living in a house with his mother and his sister, his sister's kids. Um, his little brother, who's the one that I ran into at like a skyline chili and told me where I could find him. And I show up there and they kind of like left me waiting outside and then said, okay, come in. And I go into this like bedroom where he and I used to like play Nintendo and stuff when we were little kids. And, uh, he's like in a wheelchair and proceeds to tell me, you know, that he was, um, an addict, um, which I, I already had known, like, cause I'd seen him once or twice and figured out that he was an alcoholic, but he had become an addict. And because of the lifestyle of being an addict, he'd become ill. Um, he got appendicitis 
And like when he went to the hospital, they, they knew him as an addict and thought he's just trying to get drugs. So they sent him packing and then his appendix burst mm. and he suffered like internal damage oh. and ended up bound to a wheelchair and unable to work. Oh and gosh. prior to that, yeah, prior to that, he had like um, been such a, a terrible addict that he had alienated himself from his own kids. He wasn't, he was like no longer legally allowed to even see his children. Wow. Um, so, you know, that's a heavy story. And uh, as I had started to write a dream in a nightmare's place, some of those lyrics were somewhat autobiographical just because of like stuff that I was going through, but his story sort of started to fuse with the songs and the approach to the production. And before too long, I had written this guy's, uh, a sort of a dramatized version of this guy's story. Um, and he, uh, he did eventually pass away. Like when I finished just before I finished the album, I kind of looked him up and found out that he had died. Oh. And so that kind of put the cap on the story and, um, and I finished it up. So it's a, it's, it's personal. It's, it's emotional. It's, it's, it's sort of sad. Right. Um, so is that you the get inspiration? that feel the music and the lyrical content. What's that? Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, is that the inspiration obviously for the, um, album cover or art? Yes. Yeah. Cause he actually was in a wheelchair right, and his name right. was John. We never called him Johnny, but that just, you know, gotcha. the, the whole album opens with that line. Johnny is up to his tricks again. And I was sort of imagining him, you know, schmoozing his way into, you know, getting money or getting in the door so you could like, you know, find some way to get something from, you know, what addicts do. Um, because they suffer from substance use disorder, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a, it was a, like I said, it was a personal and like a really thoughtful album for me. Prior to that record, I had started playing in a, like a folk kind of a band okay um called summit sky which is still together and we still play um occasionally uh and i had like i had shifted my my approach to um writing lyrics from writing kind of like thinly veiled political uh you know messages to um to writing uh stories and so I had written a couple songs for that band that were like stories that were either made up or loosely based on something about me or whatever. And so I was already kind of in that mode. And I always liked concept albums, like even some of the Oliver Hall records. Um, and I think the, the time on the take record for Alex Hall's figurehead had loose threads that tied the songs together and made them concept records in their own right, but not as explicitly as Johnny is you know constructed so right yeah johnny's a phenomenal album the sound on it is um you know the whole production behind it is really fun and when you were talking about you know the lizards earlier and stuff i love the mice in the basement song <laughs> i think that might <laughs> yeah, be one of it's... my favorite songs I did, i'm not sure why but that one definitely stuck out to me and um like i said the production on the whole album is just really outstanding Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, we spent a lot of time with it. It's funny. That's the tune that stands out to you because it's, uh, it's, 
you know, like there's there's not a lot of snare on that song. It's just like a kind of a Tom thing happening, mm-hmm. and it does that whole like falling apart thing at the end, yeah. um, which I which I like to do, and I've done on other on other songs. There's a tune called Birdie on the uh, I believe it's on the Time on the Take record. It might, it might be on one of the demos or something, but um, it does that too. It's just kind of almost like a free jazz section. Um, but yeah, I love to do that. And, um, uh, mice in the basement, it's kind of like, cause I did live in a house where we had mice and it, it, you know, anybody who listens to this, who's dealt with that problem is going to understand, like I would have dreams, well, nightmares, I guess, <laughs> where I would like have to like, you know, go fucking clean the mice traps again. And knowing that if I like, I didn't, the last thing I wanted to do was like reach into a fucking box and pull out dead mice. But if I didn't do it, then like they would get into the rest of the house. And that's that line. If I don't get up and deal with them, they'll be chewing holes through my jeans <laughs> because the character in my mind at that point in the story is like, you know, just completely like laying around like, like high all the time and not really moving just, kind of a mess um yeah so anyway yeah yeah for sure man but hey we're kind of we're not running out of time we got plenty of time but um got a couple more questions for you so i'm curious you know with all of your experience and you know everything you've been through all the writing all the performing live, just kind of you know growing up and around me or not around it but you know growing up and doing all the music stuff um what is some advice that you would have for future musicians I think the, the, the thing that you want to keep in the back of your mind, at least, especially if you're young, is that while the like, while the like the fun of like playing live um, is always going to be there, um, you're going to go through varying periods of like, of like success, whatever that means to you. Um, and it's a cliche to like, you know, to start playing music because you think you're going to be like some big rock star. Um, I think that the, the best piece of advice I can give somebody would be to, to, to tell them do music for the sake of like your own creative expression. Um, and for the purposes of making art before anything else. Um, yeah. if the fans like it, that's great, but do it for yourself because that's how you're going to get the most, out of it, you know, long term. Um, if you do it just to like, you know, drink free beer at the venue and and, and pick up girls or whatever, um, that's that. that there's a, a lifespan of that that's considerably shorter than the joy you're going to get from being creative and being an artist. Um, and that's you know, old man speak. I get that, but it is true, and, it, and it, it's worth at least keeping in the back of your mind. You know, do it for the for the craft and for the art and for the, the expression. Um, keep that in the back of your mind so that you, you continue to get a lot of it. Also, if you're really, really young and you're starting to play music and you're having fun, I really recommend you do go to school or at least take private lessons um, to learn music theory because while it, if you already can, can, can rock a pentatonic scale and play over blues changes or whatever, that that's a lot of fun, but you know, music is like this magic thing. Like when you're young and you've never played with other people and you don't know what you're doing, the first time you get together with other musicians and you play, 
um, and it and it's and it works together the way it's supposed to. It's like magic. It's like this, like you cast a spell, yeah. and like it's all coming together. And that feeling that you get from that first time that happens, you will chase the rest of your life. You really will. And the longer you play, and the more you like study, the more complex your writing and stuff is going to become. And your ability to feed that particular beast is at some point going to become dependent upon your um, foundation in like music theory. Um, so trust me when I tell you it is worth it to study music theory. I didn't study it enough when I was a young musician. And now I'm having to kind of like go back and get little pieces here and there in order to, support whatever idea it is i'm trying to get across where if i had had that foundation in the first place i'd be in a much different place as a musician now not going to make you money not going to get you you know uh really a whole lot other than your own personal enjoyment but if i had gone to music school instead of you know whatever undergraduate degree i got at least i would feel like i could go out and play a jazz gig now you know what i mean yeah um that's a personal thing maybe, but I really do recommend. No, I, I would totally getting. agree. And I think that's really well said about everything else as well. Um, but having that music theory as, you know, a toolbox to just kind of reach in and like, Hey, we're doing this. Okay, cool. I I'm aware of how to do this. And now I can do that because, you know, you've studied or looked into music theory to be able to pull that out and to help your playing uh, flourish like that is very helpful. <laughs> totally. Yeah, for sure. But all right, man. Well, anything else you want to plug or talk about at the end? Any secret stories here, you know, or anything else? Um, yeah, I saw that question about, you know, like the craziest story from a gig. Honestly, every gig is crazy in its own way. You just never know. It could be a drunk girl, like falling over the monitor, it's like random people walking on stage and trying to talk into the microphone. Um, I've been at festivals that have like, you know, fallen so behind that we've ended up playing at like, 4 30 5 30 in the morning yep. <laughs> um things things just happen and you you got to be ready to roll with the punches plug in your shit and like rock like you're in a stadium um and that's and that's that's the key um so i don't i don't know that i have any like one story that's like the most messed up gig i mean i one i could mention is like one time i played with a band we were on tour and we played in a biker club Okay. Um, and the biker club was like set up as a club so that they could have like certain rights to be able to like drink alcohol, like past bar hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but a stipulation of this was that only the members of the biker club could like open and close the door to the place. So if you wanted to like go outside to, to, to smoke a cigarette or get something out of your car or whatever it was, these guys had to be like at the door to open the door for you. And, once we got in there, we had, they had been described to us as our biker club. Once we got in there, we discovered that these bikers were like some weird fusion of bikers and like, um, uh, what do you call them? Juggalos. Okay. Um, which are like, you know, insane clown posse people. It was a very, very weird gig. But <laughs> the good thing was that they liked our music enough that like we had all the, all these, uh, crazy old biker dudes and younger biker slash juggalo dudes um getting down the whole night and it turned out to be a fun gig but it was it was it was very strange um <laughs> yeah so yeah take that for what you want. i love that for um, sure. 
Yeah. As far as anything I'd like to plug, I mean, I, I'm just, I just am really so proud of the Johnny record still. And um, even as I like am starting to write new material and trying to put together a new live, um, you know, configuration to, to go out and do some new stuff on stage, um, especially in the wake of the pandemic, just wanting to, to play live, play guitar live. Um, you know, Johnny is turning two years old um, in one week. We're recording this one week before Black Friday. Johnny was released on Black Friday in 2020. Wow. Um, so I really, the, 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 the single best thing anybody who hears this could do, you know, for, for me um, would be just to go stream the, the album on whatever um, streamer you use, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube, whatever you use. It's, it's all, it's all, it's, it's on all of them. Um, so, so please go, go take a listen. Um, you know, get on my, my, um, Alex Hall's figurehead Instagram, um, and let me know, or on Facebook and let me know, you know, what your favorite track is, show it to your friends, you know, put it on mute and let it play on repeat while you sleep just to <laughs> generate money for me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, hopefully you like it. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope that, that the people will do that and then, um, you know, maybe it'll inspire somebody else out there to, because uh, this is the first record that I ever wrote, you know, all by myself, workshopped myself, you know, demoed myself and then brought musicians in to play um, after it was already complete. Um, I played piano on this album, which I've never done. Oh, wow. um, so some of, the, some of the organ and piano parts, um, most of most anything played with keys on this album I played um, and fixed, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but, but that was, that was a, a sort of a, a threshold that I had not yet crossed. So um, yeah, I just really hope people listen to it. Um, and, uh, and you can, um, like I said, check me out on, on Facebook, Instagram, um, and uh, check out the record and all my other records um, on uh those streaming services also so yeah absolutely man yeah everybody listening please go check out his stuff it is um a really really good production and you know obviously from you know talking with you you've put a lot of time and effort into it so you know please everybody go you know follow and uh like and you know do all that stuff for him because it, it's really good it's worth the listen for sure yeah and thanks so much chris um for having me on today uh and thanks for what you do i don't think people realize um how much work goes into to making a podcast and that there's really like not enough podcasts out there that cover local and regional music um, to give, you know, platforms for people like me who don't have a huge following to talk about what they're doing. Um, so it's a really important thing, you know, for our culture and for um, independent musicians. So thanks so much for what you do and for having me on. I appreciate that, man. No, thank you for coming on. You know, I mean, I can't remember if we said this at the beginning or, you know, before we started recording, you know, we had some issues with scheduling and all that. And, you know, I sincerely apologize again, but I'm so glad I got the opportunity to talk to you. Um, because like I said, after listening to that album and all that, and I was just like, yeah, I have to talk with this dude and, you know, kind of get a little more insight on all that. And I, and I hope you had a good time, you know, chatting and all that too. 
Absolutely. Here on my drive through <laughs> rural Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, again, thank you so much. And thank you to all the listeners out there. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. If you like what you heard, please like, follow, subscribe to whatever you guys are listening on. Uh, please check out the website for the podcast. Everything we talked about, I will try my hardest to uh, link everything uh, we we did, you know, some of his uh, bands that he talked about that he liked, all the stuff he's involved with right now. It'll all be on the website. Please go check it out. He's uh, a great dude. Um, do all that. Uh, also, we have some merch on the website now, um, you know, hoodies and shirts with the logo on it and all that. So if you like what we do here, uh, pick one up or two, and it will really help support what we do here. And uh, that's it for me, man. You got anything, any, any last-minute remarks? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, but, again, but, thank but, you so but much. Thank you. I really did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and drive safe, dude. Have a great time recording and writing and all that. <laughs> all right, man. You too. Thanks again. See you later. Thank you.